This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Today, I have the great pleasure of interviewing Dr. Ana Fagotti, who is faculty at the Fundazione Policlinico Universitario Agostino Gemelli in Rome, Italy. Welcome, Ana. Hello, everybody. It's a great pleasure to be with you and Pedro regarding discussing uh, this interesting topic. So, Anna, tell us about the principle of the laparoscopic evaluation of patients with advanced ovarian cancer. Um, as you all know, ovarian cancer has mainly uh, spread within the abdomen. This is one of the major reasons for unresectability and one of the major reasons for worse prognosis in these patients. So uh, we decided to um, assess diffusion of disease by a minimal invasive access in order to be as reliable as possible in giving information regarding diffusion of disease. Anna, can you um, just give us an overview on how a patient with advanced ovarian cancer is evaluated and managed today at your center given your prolonged history of uh, contributing to the literature on this particular topic of the laparoscopic assessment of patients with advanced ovarian cancer. I'm particularly happy to discuss with all of you uh, this topic because I think that each of all the possibilities we have to assess one patient should be um, should be considered within a, a different environment, which means that in different countries we may have different uh, situations which lead us to use uh, different uh, approaches. So usually in our institution, first of all, we assess patients from a clinical point of view, which means performance status and um, nutritional status, for example, and so on. Uh, second point is imaging, which uh, considers thorax and abdomen as first steps in order to assess extra abdominal presence of extra abdominal metastasis and resectability of such metastasis. Uh, the third point is then laparoscopy. So all patients actually receive all these three different evaluations. Then the final um, conclusion is made considering these three different approaches. The reason is that in our institution we still receive patients from outside, outside the, the hospital and outside the city. So actually it's very difficult to have access for everybody to a standardized imaging and revision of the images. So we take advantages from each assessment in order to give the best evaluation of, for the patient. And Anna, you mentioned uh, the imaging and how important that might be. Um, can you tell us, in your mind, uh, what do you think is the ideal imaging for evaluation of a patient with presumed advanced ovarian cancer? Um, do you focus primarily on CT scans uh, or do you focus on PET CT or any other modality? Okay, again, it's, uh, some, uh, it's very different to say what's the best for me and what's uh, what's the most used for me uh, because uh, I think that in the future we should focalize on DIY MRI I think it's a, um, a technique with a, uh, which can improve 
a lot uh, the assessment of these patients and we have to focus and work on it in order to make it much more spread available for patients and have uh, doctors able to correctly um, uh, save and uh, read the images anyway as, a, as a, in um, most of the countries, actually, we use a, a CT scan uh, with um, contrast uh, by um, IV contrast and by mouse. Now, jumping to the actual laparoscopic assessment, I know that you have published on the predicted uh, index value and the score. Um, one of the questions that often comes up is, should we rely on your initial uh, evaluation of the score of eight above or below versus 10 um, in, in determining which patients should undergo surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Um, again, I'm very happy to discuss with you on this topic because uh, I receive um, several times this kind of question. So we decided to shift from one score to the other in, because um, our, um, um, our ability in surgery was growing up as, uh, in every place uh, all over the world and also because there was a change in the um, goal of surgery from less than one centimeter up to uh, complete resection. So the main the differences between one score and the other are actually uh, the, um, the assessment of mesenteral retraction which has been taken out from the score and uh, the presence of miliary carcinomatosis on the small bowel. As uh, you, you, can, you all know from uh, different studies, uh, one of the main reasons for not complete resection, and it's up to 80% of the cases, is the presence of carcinomatosis on the small bowel. So it depends on which is your end point. If it, your end point is uh, to, um, to achieve complete resection, then these patients with miliary carcinomatosis should be taken out and the score should be the new one. On the other hand, if your end point is less than one centimeter then you can take these patients inside and you will be able to achieve optimal site reduction. And in the setting of evaluating these patients uh, certainly you measure the uh, a number of parameters through the abdomen and pelvis. Um, one of the questions that often comes up is what if an area is adhered or blocked by tumor that I cannot assess. In other words, that I can't determine whether I can give that patient a particular score. How do you deal with those patients and, and what should we score those, those areas? So I think we can shift the question into two points. One is that there are, of course, some unaccessible areas by laparoscopy, which are intraparenchymal um, metastasis or lymph nodal metastasis, retroperitoneal disease. And of course, you need imaging in order to assess the presence of this kind of diffusion. On the other hand, there might be um, some situation and some conditions in which you cannot assess some intraperitoneal sites of disease and in this case the score is always zero which means that the model was built in order to avoid um, uh, chemotherapy in those patients who may still receive primary debulking surgery. That's, that means it's a, a protective model in which you may have a high, still a high rate of unnecessary laparotomies but in this way we protect patients and we offer 
primary the Balkan surgery to the majority of cases. And then one of the um, um, topics that have come up in, in this evaluation is whether this assessment should be done by a single surgeon versus multiple surgeons in order to avoid the bias from one uh, unique surgeon. Can you uh, give us your thoughts on whether the assessment should be done by one or multiple surgeons and what's actually done in your institution? Um, I am grateful for these questions because um, uh, we really appreciated the effort from the MD Anderson because uh, actually at the beginning we did not realize uh, that that could be an issue because uh, we we were living our, our own reality but over the time and having new doctors coming into our institution we realized that it's much more it's much better that this uh, evaluation is done at least by two surgeon, surgeons, and if there is a conflict, then a third surgeon will come inside. Very well. Um, now, the question that often comes up, obviously, in any intervention is, does the scoring system and using the scoring system in your algorithm, does that impact overall survival or disease-free survival in patients with advanced ovarian cancer? I can answer with two, um, with two papers. One has been published last year in Journal of uh, Clinical Oncology by um, the randomized control trial from the group of the Netherlands. They demonstrated there is no difference in terms of progression-free and overall survival between the two groups of patients randomized between laparoscopy versus uh, primary um, laparotomy approach. On the other hand, I can say also, and we hope to publish the data in the next future that even in our institution there is no difference uh, with the other institutions in terms of median progression free and overall survival in those patients who received um, laparoscopy and then were managed according to uh, the score. And why do you think that there is no difference? I think there is no difference in my opinion you know, it's a very difficult question, but I think there is no difference because through this score, actually, we are able to um, identify those patients who probably will never reach complete site reduction. And um, the other point is that probably we will identify those patients who will have a, a very high tumor burden. And we know from the retrospective studies from the GOG that tumor burden is still um, a very predictive variable, independent predictive variable for prognosis. Well, now shifting a little bit of uh, gears with regards to the patient population, um, what about the patients that undergo neoadjuvant chemotherapy and often after either three or six cycles of therapy, one considers those patients uh, ideal based on imaging responses to undergo interval cytoreduction? reduction? Is laparoscopy something that we should be using at that point? Um, is laparoscopy something that we should be using to proceed with the interval saddle reduction? What are your thoughts on that? Um, sometimes we use uh, laparoscopy at time of interval debulking surgery with different aims. In this specific case, I think it's useful for different reasons. For example, after three or four cycles of chemotherapy, we still have the, the feeling that the patients have responded, but really we don't know which kind of surgery she needs. Um, and moreover, uh, imaging techniques may fail again 
either for um, um, small bowel carcinomatosis on one side, but also for fibrosis uh, related to chemotherapy effects. So I think it's a, a useful uh, uh, technique in order to decide whether or not these patients can receive interval debacking surgery or if this patient can receive additional treatments or even shift to different treatments after Nashvan chemotherapy. In your institution, are you routinely doing laparoscopy prior to interval cytoreduction? reduction? Not routinely, but in many patients. So selected patients, we, they receive a, a laparoscopy. Now, can you tell us about any uh, exciting trials that are either ongoing or about to start exploring the principle of a laparoscopic evaluation of patients with advanced ovarian cancer? Um, yes, actually, um, we are very satisfied because we just concluded the enrollment of the SCORPION trial. I think uh, we will have some interesting results uh, regarding the role of laparoscopy in um, selecting patients toward uh, primary the bulking surgery or Nagevan chemotherapy. Um, so uh, after this trial, the conclusion of this trial and publication of results, I hope we will give a contribution in this, uh, in this area. Uh, one of the main um, reasons of discussion is that um, this can be considered uh, like uh, another randomized trial like the others that have been published or like the others that are still ongoing. I think there is uh, one major difference uh, which is uh, selection of patients through laparoscopy. So I think that the information that we will have from this trial really can give us the opportunity to better select women toward different treatments. And for those in the audience who may not be familiar with the trial design of the Scorpion, can you just tell us a little bit about what patient population that might be and what um, were the objectives of that trial? Um, so uh, the um, uh, patients were actually selected based on the score, based on the previous score, because the trial was designed at the time in which the previous score up to eight was this, uh, was uh, designed. And so patients with a score between eight and twelve at time of laparoscopy and without uh, distant metastasis outside the abdomen or with distant metastasis considered resectable at time of primary development in surgery and with a good performance status are actually randomized were actually randomized between natural chemotherapy and primary debulking surgery we had two primary outcomes. The first one was morbidity, and the results have been already published. But here we demonstrated that, of course, morbidity related to surgery early and late morbidities were much higher in the group of PDS with respect to natural chemotherapy. The, secondary, um, the second co-primary outcome was progression-free survival. And the results that we have recently presented uh, demonstrate that there is no difference between in a natural chemotherapy and PDS at time of prog uh, at progression free survival in these patients. However, this was a superiority trial, so the results are negative. Um, anyway, uh, from a clinical point of view, I would say that 
both treatments are equally efficient in terms of progression-free survival, so the decision should be related to other uh, assessment instead of just doing uh, surgery or natural chemotherapy. Well, those are very interesting findings and certainly those will contribute to the literature. Um, before we, we close, would you like to make any additional remarks? No, I just want to thank all people who have worked on this topic in my institutions and all around the world because I just want to say that we are doing our best uh, not to save but to help patients uh, with the advanced ovarian cancer. Well, Anna, uh, we at the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer really thank you for your time and once again for your contribution to the field of gynecologic oncology. Thank you. Thank you very much.